You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. We're working through 2 Corinthians. We're in the midst of, in all of the Bible, the biggest section on money in the Scriptures. I know that makes everybody nervous, but it only shows how much Money has a grip on our hearts because we tighten up. You can talk about anything. Don't you talk about my money. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money. God knows what a grip it has on us, and he's not shy from speaking into it. And I don't want to either, especially when we come. This passage in all of Scripture, all those 2,000 verses, this is the biggest section. And I hope you want to tune in. Of, okay, what does God have for me? What is God's? financial plan for my money. There's going to be no shortage of people telling you what to do with your money, investors, whatever it is, let alone even people like me, even preachers, maybe televangelists, telling you, give your money here and God will bless you. You ever come across some of those guys we call kind of prosperity gospel guys? I've, I have. I remember one day, I spent the day just praying at Stan Hewitt. And I was coming down through the valley, kind of up into North Hill. There's that trail right there. And so I was praying all day, and I bumped into one of these guys. And I'm like, okay, is that who I should listen to? He told me, God wants you to give me some money. I'm like, I don't know if he told me that yet. I think. And he said, you know, whatever you give me. And he told me the date. Whatever you give me, you pray. Whatever God's telling you to give me. It's going to get doubled and come back to you on that day. You know the funny part? I tried it. I gave him some money. I'm like, well, let's see where this goes. I spent all day praying, God, maybe you want to teach me something. And I didn't go crazy. I didn't give the guy like a grand, but I gave him 20 bucks just to see if I'd get 40 back. And so, I mean, so we're in the middle of that trail. I mean, people going by and this guy's like, all right, now I'm going to pray for God to bless you back. And I kid you not, this is how it went. So he goes to pray. I go to pray. And he prays like this. I was like, whoa. Like people are going by. I'm like, mind your business. It's fine. I'm going to get some money in a little bit. It's cool. Keep walking. He just starts screaming. I like open my eyes. His eyes are still closed. So I kind of like close one eye. Because I'm a little wicked out. Is that who you should listen to? Somebody bump into on the street, a televangelist. Or are we going to listen to what God's financial plan for us? This is what God says how to spend our money on. Let's tune in to that. Don't even listen to me. Listen to the scriptures. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. Again, I told you it's a big section. So we're going to read a lot. Please engage and try to listen to God's financial plan for you. 2 Corinthians 8, start in verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I did not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. For that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. 
As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. It's funny, as I was prepping for this, and our church brought in the final financial advisors that work for the, you know, that consult with the church and help us with our retirement. And it was a really confusing kind of talk they gave over lunch. I mean, it was all kind of slides and inflation and adjusted for inflation. And you got to factor in, and this is what a recession is. And he had all kind of charts. And it was, what should you be in a 401k, a Roth, Roth IRA, 501c3bq9er. I'm like, what? <laughs> and everybody is going to tell you, oh, here is what you need to do. I hope to make God's financial plan for you really simple. So that's what I want to look at. Okay, what is God's financial plan for us? What is our problem? And then ultimately, God's provision. Right? So we're going to look at the plan, the problem, the provision. Three Ps, you're welcome. <laughs> right? So that's what we're going to walk through right here. So what is God's financial plan for us in the midst of everybody telling you what you should do? God's financial plan. Radical generosity. I mean, this is an entire theology of money, but again, this is the biggest section in all of God's Bible, and what is it about? Radical generosity. I, I had to take bullets out. All of these are straight from that text. So bountifully, be a cheerful giver, distribute freely, give to the poor, be generous. God's call for us is radical generosity. As you look at your budget, as you look at kind of your financial portfolio, does it reflect radical generosity? If I were to look at my bank statements, is that the picture it paints? The picture, right? He gives a kind of that farming illustration, that agrarian picture of so bountifully. He's saying, look, don't be tight-fisted. You know, a farmer would never, when he goes to plant seed, 
you know, kind of pinch when it comes to that. He is going to sow liberally. I want you, like you treat your salads with ranch dressing. I just want you to baste it on. Just let it flow. But how many of us are tight-fisted when it comes to generosity? God is saying, be liberal, lavish, bountiful in your giving. Is that what your bank statement looks like? I mean, the amount was radical. Paul was blown away by their gifts. Do you blow people away if I saw your bank statements with how much we are giving to others? And it's not just in our abundance. That's a part of the radical nature. Remember, the Macedonians in their extreme poverty were still being generous. I think we can really push the limits of this. I mean, how is it too far? Okay, the standard is, do you have enough to eat? Do you have food, clothing, and shelter? Okay, if you have that, then you are in a place to be radically generous. That is what God's plan is. And here's the thing. And this is why I know people get jumpy when churches talk about this. And here's where this week is super easy for me to talk about money. Because I am not begging you for money. Did you catch so much of the motivation? The church isn't just pleading with you. You better give your money. And that's what people always hear. Why am I calling you into this? Did you catch the very first line that we read from the scripture? This benefits you. It is to your benefit to be radically generous. To live that kind of life. This isn't a command. And Paul says it. I'm not commanding you to this. Because that's not what is going on here. I don't command you. I invite you into an exhilarating life of faith and joy through radical generosity. Will you take that invitation? Look what this scripture says in Acts 20. We must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, I'm asking a couple questions. I'm going to start off real easy. Who thinks Jesus, by show of hands, is pretty smart? A couple of you didn't. I don't know what your deal is, but that's most of us. Pretty smart. Jesus said... It's better to give than to receive. Jesus said, you'll be more blessed living a life of love, not of selfishness. So good old smart Jesus, outside of a couple of you that have an issue there. (laughs) Who thinks Jesus was right when he said this? Raise your hand. You know that answer. Okay. Let's get to the hard one. If you know that, who looks at their budget? And says, I want to do everything I can to spend as little as I can just to cover my basic needs so I can spend as much as I can to be radically generous. Who approaches there? I won't make you do a show of hands. How many hands would go up then? And that's what we have to get into, right? God's plan of radical generosity is obvious. But then what's the hang up? Why, if all of us know this is true, we believe the lie, right? And the scripture says this, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But we still think stuff 
will make me happier. And if I can have more stuff, that's happier than what Jesus says is a better life. We know this, right? Even at the youngest of ages, my kids are going in different spurts. They're back in a ducktail spurt. You know, it's a good show, great song, if you remember. Remember that one? Even at the youngest of ages, you ever you remember Scrooge McDuck? That dude is miserable, right? We know this. Stingy people are not happy. Think of the stingiest person you know. Is that person happy? No. He is. A, he was a miser. Gary, our worship director, just reminded me of this. Do you know the root word for miser is the same word for miserable? It's the same word. We know hoarding money and just using it for ourselves makes us miserable and we can't stop. Think of the most generous person you know. Is that person happy and joyous or grumpy? You know the answer. But yet we still, knowing this is true, do you sit at home and just research different kind of missionaries that you can give to or do you research that next purchase and think about that next car, that next house. Which one keeps you up at night? That next thing you're going to buy for yourself or that next thing that you're going to bless somebody and give to somebody? We're getting into the core of the problem. We know this, but we don't believe it. And so rarely do we live it. How can we get on God's financial plan of radical generosity? I think part of our problem, it's twofold that I'm going to dive into now. I think we forget what money is and whose it is. We forget what money really is and ultimately whose it is. I'm going to kind of start backwards in that. We forget whose money. Like when I look at my bank account, I forget who really owns that. So you remember when I was in the passage, right? I want you to sow bountifully. So I want you to take the money you have and be generous with it. Bountifully, abound, distribute freely. And if that's all it is, you could think, okay, how should I spend my money? But the scripture continues and actually backs it up before that. Look at the passage. He who supplies seed for the sower. Whose money is it actually? Right? You think, this is my money, I worked hard for it. Remember we're talking about fairness? Right? If you have abundance and your brother in Christ has need, you should give it to him. That's not very American, is it? As American, what is fair? This is my money, I worked hard for it, and I'm going to spend it on me. It's not fair that somebody else would have access to my money because this is mine and I worked for it. God's like, wait, time out, cowboy. Whose money is it? Where did you get the resources to earn that money? Think about it in business terms, right? Seed money. So say you are just kind of independently wealthy and you are going to give all the seed money to a business and you give them all the finances to start a business. Now they work hard and then all of a sudden this investment that you paid for explodes and has all kind of profit and they cut you out and don't give you any of it and act like this theirs. You cool with that? Isn't that exactly what we do to God? God gives us everything to go out and make money, and then we turn around and act like it is ours. 
I mean, don't even just think of the arrogance of it. You think, no, this is my money. I worked hard for it. Think of the privilege you've had. If you were born in southern Sudan, do you think you'd be as prosperous as you are? And even if you want to say you didn't have any privileges, right? But you just worked hard, but with your own strength and your own mind. Where did your mind come from? Everything you have is a gift from God. Therefore, it is all his. And think about generosity if we would see our money is all his anyway. It was funny, actually. We kind of started in this series, and Pastor Rick kicked it off talking about money. And right after service, somebody came up right here and found me. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, I found this wallet. So we were all joking. I'm like, man, that's a good sermon on money. And people responded like, take it all, Lord. It's yours. Like people just throwing their wallets around. Like that was powerful, Pastor Rick. That's not what happened. It fell out of his pocket. But then somebody came up to me and gave me the wallet. And I will tell you how uncomfortable I was, right? Because, you know, I mean, we want to be transparent. You know, you think of all the different scandals. When somebody hands me somebody else's wallet, I was like, ew, ew, I don't want to touch it. Like, I seriously walked around like this. I talked to some of you like, I'm going to look in it, but it's not mine. I don't want to get, look, that's there. I didn't want to touch it because this wasn't mine. And the longer I held on to it, the more likely I was going to get in trouble. We can't just hoard it, and this wasn't ours anyway. What if you saw your paycheck that way? That ultimately it's not yours? Like when you saw, I I would hope to react that way. When I see my paycheck hit my bank, I'm like, ooh, 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 get it away from me, get it away from me. It's going to ruin me if I keep it. Just go ahead. It's not mine. Let's get this moving. That abundance passage you see was in quotes. It was quoting kind of when Israel was in the wilderness and they had manna from heaven. Like when they were out, God provided with like bread from heaven. Like miraculous bread appears so they could eat from it. But what did they learn? That if they tried to hoard the bread, it spoiled. It would ruin them. It said maggots would eat the bread. That's what happens to us when we just hoard money. It's like maggots just eating at our soul. I actually found a picture of maggots eating at someone's soul. That's not really a picture. That's disgusting. I'm just messing with you. First service, people are like looking away. A soul isn't material. That doesn't even work. But I want you to feel that, right? Like some of you that are already like, that's disgusting. So is us what God has given us because we want to keep it. What if we saw our money like, ew, ew, get it away from me. Ew. But we think, no, that's my money. I worked hard for it. No, it isn't. It's God's. And what if instead of that, we had an approach of manna, of depending on God for his miraculous provision. So we forget And the money's not ours anyway, and I think we elevate what money is. I don't know if you've ever saw this passage in Matthew. Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve God and money. Why does God put himself in direct competition with money? Because God knows we elevate 
money, particularly in our culture, to be our God? What do we find our security in? What do we find our freedom in? How many times have you heard that if I just had money, then I could? And if you don't have any money, do you still feel totally secure that God will provide manna for you if need be? Or do you wig out because money is your security? The word for money in Greek is mammon. And we, set, we elevate money to the place of God. We serve the God of mammon, and that's what we look to. I can't be generous because I need money, and money is what keeps me safe. We have this elevated view of money. I'll be honest, and it was funny, it was a little, it's a little embarrassing to share. So for me, and I want to think, when you talk about, man, your desire to give and your actual giving, we had to come to a place, I don't know that my desire to be a generous person matches my actual radical generosity. Now, we're faithful givers to the church, but I'm not, I want to be known for this, and I had to come down to the fact that I'm not. You know what I'm known for? Being a mooch. You can laugh if you want, but it's dead true. I used to in college, I wouldn't even order food. People would just start passing it to me. Because I would, that's, and part of it for me, I'm not embarrassed by this, but part of the reality is, I had like fancy words now, like food insecure. Growing up, we just called it being poor. <laughs> oh, they have like food assistance. We have food stamps. So I was just raised poor. I was just raised with a view of scarcity that there's not enough. And how can I be generous when there's just not enough here? And also being raised on welfare, I got overly comfortable with being a receiver, living off other people's handouts. And how sad is that? But then now I'm known for somebody who's a receiver, not a giver. And why? Because there was never enough money. Since I was 12 on, I would save birthday money. I'd save Christmas money. I had good credit at 18 and I had no idea. It was just because I was such a saver because I thought, okay, if I just have enough money, I'll be okay. If I have enough money, then I'll be able to live the life that I wanted. And I was worshiping and serving the God of mammon. And I couldn't be generous because that was the money I needed to survive. And God offers you this choice. You can live off of his manna or worship the God of mammon. You can be tight-fisted and cling to your money because that's what makes you secure. Or you can get down with his plan of being generous because he will provide. He goes right at it when he calls us to this generosity. Why aren't we generous? Well, I just don't have enough. Man, if I give, what if there's not enough left over for me? What if something happens? And what does God say? I can provide. Look what it says in the passage about God's provision. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is God's financial plan for you? Radical, like over-the-top generosity. But we can't let it go because we worship money. And God says, look, if you get down with my plan, I can provide for you. 
Look at God's provision. All sufficiency in all things at all times. God's saying, stop wigging out about money. Money will not make you secure. I will. Are you going to trust, even investing, right? I mean, investing essentially is gambling. You're going to trust that your investment is going to pan out. Or are you going to invest in the kingdom and trust God to provide? I mean, some of it, I think we treat our giving like taxes. Like, I know I need to do it, but what's the least amount of money I can give, least amount of taxes I can pay and not go to jail? And that's what we think with God. Okay, I know I'm supposed to give, but like, what's the least amount that me and God are still cool? It's like the high school kid asking with their boyfriend or girlfriend, like, hey, how far can I go and God not be too mad at me? (laughs) Yeah, we're laughing. And then what do you do that with God? Okay, God, what's the least amount that me and you are still okay that I can give? God's saying, try to think how much you can give and you don't have to worry. Are you worried you're going to outgive God? You're going to be so generous that God's going to be like, I can't keep up. I mean, this inflation, wow, I'm tapped out. Be as generous as you can be, and God promises to bless you. And this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Because it is saying God will graciously bless you if you give where he tells you to give. So is that the prosperity gospel? And I think sometimes we get so afraid of the dangers, legitimate dangers of the prosperity gospel that give to God, he'll make you rich, that we can then ignore God's gracious provision, including financial provision of us, if we are faithful with our finances. And because it is so important, I want to look at that and kind of nuance between those two to make sure you get the difference between the prosperity gospel and the gracious provision of God's manna. Because I want you to be in that place of taking and partaking of the manna of God. Have you ever eaten manna? Now, I'm not talking about literal, but scholars even disagree what it was. I'm not talking about literal manna. I'm talking about, have you ever been faithful with God's money and gave where he told you to gave? And then he just miraculously provides for you. Manna, nothing tastes sweeter. It's like Chick-fil-A with a side of Turkish delight. It's unreal. If you have never done that, I beg of you, try trusting God when you taste of his miraculous provision. There's nothing like it. Let's look at the difference between the two. Prosperity has a very narrow view of blessing, or provision has a very broad view of blessing. The prosperity gospel says this, just like the guy on the trail with me. If you give 10, God will give you 20. It is always God will make you rich materially. Now, the broad view of God's blessing is he will provide for you materially, but it says you'll be enriched in every way. What did it say? Right, You sow generosity... Did it say that you reap money? No, it said sow and reap, and I think you will reap generosity, but did you catch? It said a harvest of righteousness. God will provide for you financially, but his blessing is going to be so much greater than just 
money. And part of that is you got to get this straight too. Second one, prosperity says, God will give you all your wants. God's provision is, I will take care of your needs and stop living so much for material kind of fulfillment. So one thing, it said it well, right? God will give you all your needs, not all your greeds, right? And part of it is we think stuff will make us happy and it's hard to let go because I want God to bless me with all these things. And God says, yes, I will take care of you. But if you're living for stuff, you're in trouble. God's promise is that he will provide for your needs. And we miss kind of where that line is at times of what our actual needs are. But I also think this is probably the most important part. That you give for God and he provides, like abundantly provides for you. What is the point of that blessing last? Prosperity says, this is for you. This is for you to live the good life. Look how God has blessed me, and now I can live the good life. I can live the lavish life and enjoy all the greatest things. The passage over and over stated, I will be gracious to you so that you can be generous. Provision of God is not just for you. Of course, you can cover your needs, but the point of abundant blessing is abundant generosity. From the beginning, the scriptures has been clear. From Abraham on, the point is blessed to be a blessing. If God has given you abundance, that's not just for you to enjoy the good life. It is for you to carry out, as the scripture said, every good work. God says, I want you to be generous. Care for the poor. Care for your brothers and sisters in Christ in need. He said, don't fear. You can do that bountifully because I will provide for you. And we can trust in his gracious provision. But I also love, there's one more passage I want to read. Because again, we know this, but we still don't live it. And I think God just understands how hard it is, how much how much money has a grasp on our heart? And that's where I love this last passage I want to read. Malachi 3. Will man rob God? That you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Listen to this verse. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Part of why I find this verse fascinating is when Jesus was tempted, what did he say? Don't test God. In this verse... Test God. Which one is it? The clearest explanation I had is, don't test God, except when he says it's okay to test him. Then you can test him. And it's almost like God says, look, I know how hard it is. I know you're so scared that you won't have enough, that you're not going to be able to provide for your kids. Look, look, I get how scary that is. So why don't me and you, why, why don't we make a deal? Why don't you just try it? 
Like, I know maybe you can't fully commit to it. He's like, why don't you just test me? God's like got a great Amazon return policy. Like, try it for 30 days. You don't like it, send it on back. I have no cost to you. God says, why don't you try it? I know you're scared, and I know you haven't given like you should, like you always wanted to. He says, look, give it a shot and see if I don't provide for you. I want you to just today, just try it. Like, I want you to just be like wildly generous to somebody today. I'd love it if out of these doors just flowed a tsunami of radical generosity from our church. It says people would result in praising God. Just try it. Like today, you're going to go out to lunch. The scriptures say you would be happier if you went out to lunch and they said, how much, you know, would you like a table? No, 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 I don't want a table. Actually, I want to pay for these four tables. Pay for them and leave. The Bible says you'd actually be more joyous, more happy doing that. As opposed to sitting down, complaining about the food and leaving a stingy tip. Just try it. Go out. And some of you, I know, going out to lunch is like sacred, so you can still eat, but... Buy like four people's food. Buy like drop the waitress just a stupid tip. The waiter, whoever your server is, give it a shot. Do you know somebody in need? Maybe from the storm? What if you decided I'm just going to bless their socks off? And then see, do you not have a greater joy in your life? And then wait and see as you do that. If God doesn't send you manna and you get to taste and see, that he is good. We be those kind of people. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I confess. God, I have been stingy. I have served the God of mammon, the God of money. I found my security in money and that has led me, God, to be stingy. And I I don't want us, I don't want me to be that kind of person. God, would you show us the places where you want us to be radically generous? Would we do it with great faith, knowing that we can get about your financial kingdom plan because you will graciously provide for us. Help us to believe that as your kids today, in Jesus' name, Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.